Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time that you are listening. This is episode five of the Tata Cancer Podcast. We're going to be doing part two of my Breast Cancer Nutrition Basics series, and this is going to be addressing nutrition during survivorship. So let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm going to be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. Hello, listener. Oh, man, I'm so happy to be back again. I can't believe we're already at episode five of this time is just flying by and you know today's episode is one of the reasons why I kind of got into the nutritional therapy practitioner program was because I think almost any breast cancer patient can relate to the fact that you're in this active treatment and you have all this support and you have all this input sometimes too much input And you're trying to kind of weed through everything and figure out what the best decisions are for you in this split second moment of time that you have to make these really big decisions. And then you finish your active treatment and you're just kind of thrust out into the world and there is very little information. Most oncologists will touch on this. I guess you may have to ask. I had to ask my doctor what her opinion was about food and stuff like that. And she said, well, I typically recommend an anti-inflammatory diet. But in general, as we touched upon in the other episode, a lot of oncologists will tell people they're really, it really doesn't matter, which is something I've always had trouble accepting. But as I was researching this episode, I was reading up on some of the latest studies and You know, there is just so much conflicting information out there. It's crazy. And a lot of these studies have basically concluded that they can't make any conclusions about the impact of a ketogenic diet or the impact of a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet, that really there's no outstanding plan or protocol from a nutrition perspective for breast cancer prevention. And that's super frustrating. However, what we're going to touch on today is that there are several factors that that health professionals can agree upon more or less. And ultimately, what we're looking for with a recurrence prevention protocol is a health-promoting diet. And we also want to look at a hormone-balancing diet. You know, some women have 
hormone receptor positive breast cancer, which signifies that your hormones were out of balance prior to your diagnosis. Now, if you have a genetic breast cancer, BRCA gene, stuff like that, then you want to eat foods that are not going to turn on those genetic expressions. So we're going to touch on how we might be able to do that, as well as some of the top foods to eat and all that good stuff. Before we get into all this, I do want to define what I mean by a health-promoting diet. So this specifically would refer to a diet, or in my opinion, would refer to a diet that is going to make you feel good in terms of the physical capabilities that you have, your ability to show up for the people in your life. It's going to be something that is going to balance your hormones, keep inflammation low, and also taste good that allows you to enjoy your life and enjoy eating. So this is going to be different for everybody. Um, you know, if you're a really lean and athletic person that works out a lot, you're going to want to eat different foods than someone who is more sedentary who may need to balance their weight a bit. When you are looking at how to determine the type of diet that you want, yeah, you, you got to look at what kind of foods do I like to eat? What kind of foods make me feel good? They don't cause, I don't feel joint pain the next day. What kind of foods fuel the activities that I like to participate in? What kind of foods are important to my family and my culture that I can keep traditions with and still feel good in my body? So this is these are the questions that we would look at together, you know, if we were to work, but you can also obviously do that yourself and evaluate in your own life because the best chances you have for success in sustaining a healthy diet is if it enables these things in your life that bring you joy and that are important to you, whether it be activities, your ability to be present, um, and you know, just the sharing of food. Sharing food is is so wonderful. It's it's about love, an expression of love. It's about being a part of your community. It's about being a part of your family. I mean, it's hard to actually get people to do things that aren't revolving around food. I find that um, I tend to try to suggest all the time, hey, let's go on a hike instead of going to brunch or going to lunch or going to dinner, going to drinks. I have to really push people to think outside of that box just because it's, it is, it's, it's a great way to sit with your friend or be with your family and talk and share and express love. So I get it. I totally get it. Uh, So we're going to try and help find ways that uh, you can do that and still fight cancer, make this terrain inside of your body an inhospitable environment for that cancer to grow and thrive and that you can 
fight off these other health issues. Like, I mean, cardiovascular disease is also a really big risk thing for, for women. It's, it's major in our world and it's actually not, I don't feel like it's talked about that much, or I feel like I haven't heard about it that much. So things like cancer are, are really these very intensive times when you are looking at what you can control, how you can negate these feelings of helplessness and diet is most definitely at the top of that list of how you can reinstill this control. And we talked about that in the first part of this series um, when you know you're eating during treatment. But hey, in survivorship, I would almost argue it's just as powerful, if not more powerful, because you're not in this active phase of your treatment. And you are pretty constantly second guessing yourself with these fears because it's pretty much always in the back of your head. Is this going to come back? And that's, that's really tough. So one of the first things that I would say the health community can agree upon in terms of an anti-cancer diet. It is that the typical Western diet or the standard American diet, however you want to refer to it, is not great. (laughs) Now, when we talk about a standard American diet, we're talking about a diet that is high in processed sugar, high in trans fats, high, uh, lots of low quality meat and dairy, It's very inflammatory and tends to be very insulin promoting. It's also typically pretty low in a diverse range of fruits and vegetables. I'm sure this is of no surprise to you if there's anything that most people know, even people who are eating a typical Western diet, it's that it is not a health promoting diet and that it's leading to a lot of issues. Beyond cancer, we've got our type 2 diabetes, we've got our heart disease, we've got a lot, a lot of problems with the standard American typical Western diet. So piggybacking off of that, I would say the thing that I saw come up the most regarding what you want to be eating is a diet that's super high in a diverse range of fruits and vegetables. Now, why is this? This is a kind of, it's good for you on on a lot of different levels. Fruits and vegetables have this huge range of nutrients in them, high in antioxidants. They're high in fiber. And fiber, as we will talk about later, is is really important for women um, who would like to avoid breast cancer or breast cancer coming back because that fiber is going to not only help your body detoxify your body from excess hormones that you don't want because they're going to cause an imbalance, but it's also going to slow down the absorption of glucose. And glucose can be in the form of whole grains. It can be in the form of fruits. It can be in the form of sugar. It really all any carbohydrates going to eventually break down to glucose and you want to avoid these insulin spikes because the insulin is released when the blood sugar gets a little bit too high and the insulin has to bring it down. But insulin 
and insulin-like growth factor will both tell the body and tell certain tissues to grow. So that's why it's important to keep those levels stable and under control. So what are some good vegetables that you can eat? These are specific vegetables to breast cancer in the inhibition of cancer cell growth. So what we got here, garlic, leeks, scallions are amazing, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, broccoli. These are all the sulfur-rich vegetables, the cruciferous vegetables. We've got, did I say radishes, savoy cabbage, onion, turnips, green beans, red cabbage, asparagus, fiddlehead fern, spinach, beets, potatoes, jalapeno peppers, red chicory, cucumbers, orange peppers, celery, squash, and Boston lettuce were on this list, which is from a book called Anti-Cancer, which was written by a man named David Servan Schreiber, who was a doctor who kind of dedicated his life to anti-cancer protocols after he got his own diagnosis. So as we mentioned earlier, and as we, I keep saying we as if it's me and somebody else hosting the podcast. Um, So as I mentioned earlier in this episode, when my doctor and I talked about diet, she said, recommended an anti-inflammatory diet. Now what is, what does it mean when people say an anti-inflammatory diet, or you need to lower your inflammation, or this is caused by inflammation? So in the most basic sense... Inflammation is the body's way of fighting against things that harm it. So we're talking about infections, injuries, toxins. So your body responds to these invaders, if you will, by releasing antibodies and proteins as well as increasing blood flow. So in like an acute inflammatory response, let's say that you were walking and you fell, you scraped your knee. Now you're going to see... Um, some redness, some swelling, you might see heat in that area. And your body is going to send more blood there. Your body's going to send these antibodies to uh, protect against any, you know, pathogens that may have entered when the skin broke. But inflammation can also occur if we are eating foods that our body is having like an autoimmune response to. Inflammation can occur because of certain issues or lifestyle factors. If you smoke, if you are overweight, if you drink a lot, or if you're chronically stressed, those can also lead to what we call chronic inflammation, where which is where this inflammatory response just sort of keeps going on. Um, and this, the body starts to have a reaction. And this is what tends to cause disease. So it's going to cause DNA damage, tissue death, can cause internal scarring. And all of these are linked to the development of such diseases, including cancer, but also heart disease, rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, obesity, asthma, cognitive decline, and dementia. So there's no real test that can diagnose inflammation on its own, but there are certain blood tests or blood markers that can indicate whether or not you're dealing with 
a high level of inflammation. One of these is the CRP, the C-reactive protein blood marker, which shows if you have inflection or, sorry, infection or inflammation in the general body, like the joints. And there's also the high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is the HSCRP, which reflects inflammation of the heart. So you don't necessarily know that you have chronic inflammation until you're diagnosed with another condition. But if you feel like you're experiencing some of the common symptoms of chronic inflammation, it's a good idea to speak with your doctor. And that can, you know, signs of signs and symptoms could be fatigue, body pain, depression or anxiety, joint pain. If you have GI issues like diarrhea or chronic constipation, weight gain, weight is actually kind of an amazing indicator, can be an amazing indicator of inflammation because the body, that's it's one of the ways that it, it can protect themselves. And if you lower your inflammation, you most likely will lose some weight if you had a lot of inflammation to begin with. But if you lose a lot of weight all at once, that may also indicate chronic inflammation. But if you have persistent infections, like you're chronically getting a uh, respiratory infection or a cold or something like that, that can also be indicative of a state of chronic inflammation. And in terms of how you treat chronic inflammation, there are several ways. I mean, you can take supplements, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, food tends to be more accessible than supplements. Unless you have a specific nutrient deficiency, it's really a great idea to try to get some of these nutrients in or these anti-inflammatory nutrients in. So some of these things could be fatty fish. So like fish oil, um, omega-3s, you're looking at your flaxseed, chia, salmon, sardines. Curcumin is a really popular supplement. And that is one of the ingredients or one of the compounds found in turmeric. So, you know, golden milk, just taking turmeric and putting it in your smoothie or something like that. Also ginger, garlic, cayenne, those are spices that can also help with chronic inflammation and inflammatory diseases. But, you know, the optimal dosage is pretty individual. So you want to keep in mind with that. But just eating those, including those in your diet, you're not going to overdose on any of those things. So you also want to avoid foods that your body doesn't like. And that's a super individual thing. So I may be able to eat tomatoes. And for example, my friend Salome, she eats tomatoes. And the next day, her she feels joint pain. So that's indicative that that is a, an inflammatory food for her. Now, tomato is a considered a super healthy food in general, but it's this is an example of how bioindividuality comes into play with any diet. And one of the ways that you can figure out how a food works for you, uh, you can do a elimination diet. They are a little bit tedious. And what an elimination diet is, is you basically remove all these possible inflammatory foods from your diet. So typically that would be gluten, dairy, 
eggs, nuts, nightshades like tomatoes or eggplant, peppers, stuff like that, um, and various other foods. You would eliminate them for a period of time to allow your body to kind of come to a baseline. And then you would slowly introduce those foods one by one in a controlled manner. So you don't want to eat like, let's say, a pasta dish with a cheesy tomato sauce (laughs) because you're not going to be able to isolate, well, is it the gluten in the pasta? Is it the tomato in the tomato sauce or the dairy in the sauce that is causing my inflammatory issues? So you would want to eat one of these foods in an isolated way. So let's say you had... you wanted to test out eggs, for instance, you would eat multiple servings of eggs in one day, and then you would observe how you feel immediately after eating them, a couple hours after eating them, the next day, and possibly the next couple of days until you introduce another food. So as you can probably tell by my explanation on that, that's tough. You know, it's very, it can be very restrictive, but it can also be very, very powerful. You can do food sensitivity tests that you can order online. You could order through a practitioner like myself, or you could order through a naturopath. And that's typically a blood test that you have done where it's sent to a lab and they test all of these different foods and then they'll give you a report back. And it's pretty interesting. When I did that, I've done it actually twice. And some of the things that came up for me that I thought were really weird were black tea and lettuce. So they also typically show you the degree to which you're sensitive to those foods. So some of those foods, if it's sort of a lower reaction, you can still include them in your diet, although you want to avoid them. And they these reports will usually have some lists of foods that your body does really well with or your body had no reaction to, which is also great because if you are doing something really restrictive like an autoimmune protocol or an elimination diet, you do run some risk of developing some nutrient deficiencies because it's so restrictive and because you're not getting a diverse amount of nutrients in your diet. They are super powerful. I am an advocate for them, but I think that they should be used in a particular context. So unless you have some really strange food sensitivity symptoms, I would say doing a food sensitivity test is a great way of fast tracking the process. But there's also something called the COCA pulse test that I'm going to link to in the show notes, which is a super cool way of testing for food sensitivities and it basically involves taking your pulse before you eat a food, eating the food and then taking your pulse again. And the test, the hypothesis behind the test is that if you have a sensitivity to the specific food that you will see a pulse increase. So there's a step-by-step guide that I will include a link to, and you can play around with that. I mean, have fun with it. It might be kind of a cool thing to do with your kids, make a game out of it, and just see, because everybody is different. And just like every snowflake is different, each person and the way the way their body reacts to food is, is just so individual. 
And that's both fascinating and infuriating from the perspective of a nutritionist and somebody who is trying to play with their nutrition. But I will tell you, when you do figure out what these foods are, there can sometimes be some extremely dramatic effects on your health because if you are in this constant low-grade pain or you have brain fog or digestive issues, when you stop having those things, your life really, really opens up. So there are some foods that are considered to be anti-inflammatory foods. The caveat, again, is that we just don't know how your body's going to react to it, but these are considered anti-inflammatory foods because they're high in antioxidants and polyphenols. So some of these foods are olive oil, leafy greens like kale and spinach, watercress, collards, arugula. So the tomatoes come up again because of the high level of antioxidants, polyphenols. Like I said, though, be careful with tomatoes. You might not like them. Uh, We talked about fatty fish, salmon, sardines, mackerel, nuts, fruits, especially cherries, blueberries, and oranges. They are very high in antioxidants. And as you can tell from this list of foods, there is a wide array of color. So we are eating the rainbow. That's a very important thing to do. It also makes your food pretty when you eat a wide variety of colors, naturally occurring colors. (laughs) I'm not saying to like garnish your pasta with um, a packet of Skittles. (laughs) Send me a picture and say, look, I'm eating the rainbow. Yeah, no, that's not what I mean. Okay, and I I think you know. So another factor that we wanna look at that I think is kind of goes hand in hand with the anti-inflammatory element is Another way of reducing your risk of breast cancer occurrence or recurrence is to have a healthy immune system. So a nutrient-dense diet is going to really help bolster your immunity because what we want is an immune system that's going to recognize unhealthy cells and have the ability to destroy them. You know, because cancer is very clever in its ability to evade this immune surveillance. So it it not only secretes chemicals that basically camouflage it, um, but it also confuses these cellular defense mechanisms. It's like the Trojan horse that's cloaked itself, you know, and it's basically going to throw your immune system off track. So when your army of T cells, phagocytes, and natural killer NK cells, these are the specific cells that fight cancer, if it's well-nourished and well-rested, your immune system is going to be strong and it's going to be more capable of mounting a fast and successful response to these cancer cells before they can multiply and become dangerous. Now, how do we do that beyond eating this nutrient-dense, plant-rich, balanced diet is to lower your intake of sugar and refined carbohydrates. So excess sugar depresses immunity. And this is something that's been studied. It's been shown as far back as the 1970s. And this study that was done in 1973, when subjects were taking or eating 75 to 100 grams of a sugar solution, which is about 20 teaspoons of sugar or the amount 
in two average 12 ounce sodas, what they showed was this really dramatic drop in this neutrophil count. So that's a measure of white blood cell activity. And this plummeting activity happened within 15 minutes of eating this high glycemic meal. Um, but the immune suppression, I guess, was most notable two hours after ingestion, and the effect was still evident five hours after eating. So there is strong scientific evidence that shows that the intake of sugar and refined carbohydrates will depress your immunity. So here is yet another example of why sugar is bad for health and is bad for cancer patients and survivors. I really don't understand how people can argue that sugar doesn't promote cancer. It, it just, there's so many different arguments that support that it does. But anyway, this doesn't mean that you can't eat sugar ever. It just means keep it for special occasions. You know, it just like our ancestors, they weren't eating beehives full of honey every day. You know, this was something that they only found on occasion. Berries only came around certain times of the year. You had to do a lot of exercise to actually get to the berries. And they were picking these berries. They weren't going to Costco and buying a clamshell full of strawberries that they ate in one sitting. They had to gather these things. They had to work for it. And the exercise that they were doing was kind of offsetting this sugar rush that they were getting. So these are things to keep in mind. I mean, just our sugar consumption has gone totally out of control. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you are very aware of this and you probably are not consuming a ton of sugar, but it's just so present in everything in our lives these days. It's hidden in foods where you wouldn't even expect to find it. And you do have to make a conscious effort to balance your diet and to try and avoid it. And as well as these carbohydrate, really carbohydrate rich foods. So you're looking at your scone from Starbucks or the the handful of animal crackers that you ate when you were packing your kids' lunches. These are things we really need to just be conscious of if you are trying to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. So moving on here to the next element that is generally agreed upon, and this is most specifically for women who have hormone-positive cancers, is you need to address the root cause of your hormone imbalance. So a lot of times with women who have breast cancer, the some of the common hormone imbalances would be a um, the estrogen and the progesterone balance was off. Sometimes they call that estrogen dominance if the estrogen levels and the progesterone levels are out of a healthy balance. You may have a chronic inflammation situation going on because you have like super high cortisol that's throwing off everything else in your body, your thyroid, your adrenals, your sex hormones. And we will continue to talk about this throughout the podcast, various episodes, because this is one of my areas of expertise where I'm really passionate about. Um, it's a complicated issue. It would be, it's going to be hard to summarize this, but I'm going to try. So some of the ways that you want to balance your hormones or ways that you can balance your hormones 
First, get that blood sugar stable. Again, that means avoiding these refined carbohydrates and uh, processed sugars. Eating non-inflammatory fats. You want to avoid these trans fats. Your body may not really do well with saturated fats. Not all saturated fats are bad, in my opinion. If you get a high-quality fat, then that does not necessarily have to be an inflammatory fat for you, but some people don't do well with saturated fats. You also want to make sure that you have a good amount of fiber in your diet so that you're, again, detoxifying things in your body. So that's fruits, vegetables. Some people like to add beans and whole unprocessed grains to your diet to add fiber. Also, another benefit of eating a hormone balancing diet is If you are able to balance out your insulin, you also have a much easier time managing a healthy weight. And managing a healthy weight is going to help facilitate your ability to get more exercise. And weight and exercise or lack thereof, again, are really, really prominent risk factors in breast cancer. Another great thing about managing those hormones is that it's going to balance out your hunger hormones. So this is a a reason why I love these lower carbohydrate diets. If you have a certain body type or if you're a person that just kind of struggles with hunger all the time, is that if you balance your hormones and specifically leptin and ghrelin, those are hunger hormones. If you get those balanced, you're going to be able to feel satiated more. And that's why a low carbohydrate diet and its effect on those hormones can be so effective for people. Because if those hormones are out of whack and you're doing a typical high carbohydrate, low fat diet, bunch of exercise, which you hear from your doctor a lot, or eat less, move more, something like that, or going vegan and it's not necessarily what was going to work for your body at that moment, and you're starving all the time, you're just asking to go into this pattern of restriction and binging. And that does not work, as many of us already know, and that's not going to lead to a health-promoting situation. Is it right for everybody? No, absolutely not. But is it very effective and a lot more easy to comply with for some people? Absolutely. And that's why I am a big advocate for that for certain people. But I do know people who really thrive on a low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet. So again, bioindividuality is the name of the game. So one of the last things I want to touch on is nutritional deficiencies. So when you're eating a whole foods, nutrient-dense diet as a foundation for your wellness, um, for cancer prevention, there are circumstances where even the purest, freshest proteins, fats, carbs, and phytonutrients from the foods that we eat simply aren't enough. I mean, we can look at the depleted soil producing less nutritious crops, the toxins that are in our world, all the endocrine disrupting chemicals that are thrown at us from 
all different angles that make our hormones go out of balance or are on digestive issues that prevent us from absorbing and using the nutrients available in the food we eat. So there's there's all these issues that kind of go into it, but um, if you are in a state of nutrient deficiency, that can lead to a state of diminished health and that can make you more susceptible to this oxidative stress and DNA damage. And those are two factors that increase the chance of cells becoming cancerous. So we want well-nourished cells that are capable of interacting with one another more effectively. They will make sure that all the cells work together as a coordinated community, and they're going to be able to fight and kill off these damaged or worn out cells. Um, there's a process that's called apoptosis. That's like cell death. And um, it's totally normal. <laughs> it's all good. We want that to happen. But, you know, sometimes we just can't get all the nutrients that we need from the foods that we eat. Or, you know, it's it's hard to eat a wide variety of food on food on a consistent basis. So some of the nutrients that we have heard are crucial in this process are vitamin D, iodine, and selenium. So these are three important nutrients that play a really big role in cellular and immune health. Now, you also want to look at your copper and iron levels. So if those are in excess, they can possibly hasten cancer's progression. So you want to make sure that you're watching those as well. Now, with vitamin D, you can... The best way to get vitamin D is to get sunlight on your skin. If you go outside for, I think it's about 20 minutes per day, um, sometimes that doesn't work super well if you're in a really rainy or cloudy area of the world and it's winter, but there are supplements that you can take for that. Iodine, you can get from seafoods. You have to be really careful with iodine, and that's something that you may want to take or leave. You can get it from seaweeds and stuff like that, but you can also supplement with it if you have any kind of Hashimoto's thyroiditis issues. It's that's a really tricky one, so be careful with that. Selenium, you can get that in Brazil nuts. That is that is in that, but you can also supplement with with selenium. And a lot of these nutrients also are taken together with other nutrients. So they are kind of cofactors and you can have blood work done to show what your copper and iron levels are to see if they're too high or too low. So those are good things to take a look at and talk to your doctor, your naturopath, or your other health practitioner who may be able to look at the blood work there. Cause we really just want everything to be able to have the fuel that it needs to do the best that it can in fighting off these cancer cells, keeping inflammation at bay and keeping your general health and wellness at an optimal level. So from a nutrition perspective, I would say those are the main factors that I found in my studies and in my reading. And I literally read a bunch of studies and then I also found a study that was a compilation where they basically analyzed all the different studies and looked at their conclusions 
And it was, like I said before, so disheartening how there was really very little information that they could say that everybody agreed on. And so this is the summary of what I was able to find. At the end of the day, again, find a plan that makes you feel good, that you enjoy eating, and that you feel good about. Because you want that peace of mind that you're doing what you can do. And you also want to avoid feelings of helplessness. In that book, Anti-Cancer, that I referred to earlier, he talks about that being a huge risk factor in cancer and the risk of recurrence are is feelings of helplessness. We cannot change that diagnosis or we cannot change our genetic predisposition to a breast cancer diagnosis. But what we can do is play an active role in our health. When you truly dedicate to a healthy diet, it is nothing short of miraculous. I will say that. I will shout that from the rooftops over and over and over again. You will feel different in all ways. You're going to feel different physically. You're going to be able to do more things. You're going to sleep better, which will make you think better, which will make you more capable of accomplishing things. You, Your self-esteem will improve. It is just so far-reaching, and it is why I have made this the purpose of my life. And I cannot emphasize the importance of the role of diet with breast cancer. And uh, I really hope that you experiment with some things. Try a new vegetable this week. Just go to the grocery store, pick out something that looks unfamiliar to you, you've never eaten, and then just Google it. Google a recipe for it. Pinterest is a crazy awesome resource for things like that. You can look up what the nutritional elements are of it. What is it good for? What kinds of nutrients does it have? And what what body parts do they support? And then find a recipe that looks great and try it out. It's so easy to get stuck in our ways with foods and The more foods we try, the more we diversify our diet, the more our palate grows, and it's just fun. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but it's fun to me. (laughs) So with that, I I bet you did not know that I was going to give you homework this week, but with that, I am going to wrap it up here. This is really just the tip of the iceberg. We will be talking about this many, many, many more times and with more specificity, with specific protocols, sort of the negatives and positives and all that stuff. And next week, I have an amazing episode coming to you. I uh, interviewed Stephanie Carson, who is an incredible meditation and breathwork teacher, and she's just a fantastic, lovely person. She's also an intuitive healer. She does these ceremonial cacao sessions. She's very cool, very interesting, and also comes from this corporate background, so she's makes things super accessible. I cannot wait to share that interview with you. Another quick announcement that I have is that I am live on Insight Timer under Junie Boucher. I am doing 
meditations that are not only specific to breast cancer patients, but also some general meditations. Like if you are looking to get into meditation, but you're feeling a little bit intimidated, I'm doing some short meditations, some general meditations, but also some meditations that are just very specific for the issues that we go through as breast cancer patients. So check me out, Junie Boucher on Insight Timer. It's a free app. It is absolutely fantastic. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Junie B. Well, Facebook, Junie Boucher NTP, or go to my website, juniebewell.com. So you can look at how to work with me and you can also access some free resources like the breast cancer grounding kit. I'm coming up with new stuff all the time and uh, I really look forward to interacting with you you have questions, please send them to me. If there's certain stuff that you want me to cover on the podcast, please, please let me know. I am all ears. Please share, subscribe, leave a positive review. It really, really helps out. And I appreciate you so much. So until next time, I am wishing you well.